been an interesting week. There, uh, there was a story I read this week about, it's non-theological, okay? Nothing really theological about this. About um, two pastors who died on the same day. And they went to heaven. And uh, the computers were down. <laughs> you know, as is typical. And St. Peter says, you know, I can't let you in right now. But I can't send you back as you were. But we'll have these computers fixed in a week. Um, what would you like to go back as? And the one, guy, one pastor said, well... He says, I'd really like to go back as an eagle and soar over the Colorado Rockies. If I've got a week, that's what I'd like to do. So St. Peter sent him off. The, uh, the other guy's standing there and he says, now this week it doesn't count against us in any way, no matter what we do. And St. Peter says, no, you got a freebie. And the guy says, well, I want to be a stud. (laughs) And St. Peter goes, yeah, okay, you're gone. Well, the Lord came over a week later and said, hey, we got the computers running. Everything's up good. Uh, Let's get those two guys back. And uh, he says, do you know where they are? The guy says, and St. Peter says, well, the one is easy to find. He's just soaring over the Rockies. That's no problem. The other one's going to be a little bit more difficult. Lord says, why? And he says, well, he's stuck on a snow tire in North Dakota. (laughs) Come on, that was funny. Uh, last time I had a chance to sit here, we, uh, uh, we took a couple weeks and we went through this opening of John's gospel. And we picked up a few theology points along the way. Um, the fact that John begins with the beginning of time, space, and matter. Not just in the manger, not on the way to the manger, not on the taxes. Time, space, and matter. And he talks about the word. Another point we hit was that the word is the son, Jesus Christ, who has existed since eternity past. Was God, is part of God. We, we established the fact that he created everything. This Jesus, everything was created through him. And then we talked about the two types of life mentioned in the Bible. The bios, which every living thing has. And the zoe which is that special life that's given us in Christ Jesus. 
that light that shines reflects off of, off of us and should reflect into every aspect of our lives. And we talked about because of Jesus, we have the right to call ourselves children of God. We went through the verse, uh, verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness will not overcome it. And the fact that we are children of God if we believe in him, if we receive him, if we acknowledge him for who he is. And that special relationship in Romans 5.15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I'm God's kid, to put it in a very blunt, easy way. I remember driving up on the backside of the Sierras from Mono Lake and in, into um, uh, Yosemite, no, not Yosemite, yeah, Yosemite. I'm thinking of that other one. And telling somebody, my dad made this, just looking at all the beauty. It's a fact. He made it. The fact that we have this term Abba, it's an informal Aramaic term for father, having the idea of intimacy, tenderness, dependence, and a complete lack of fear or anxiety. Some scholars have said it's likened to a child running up to their father saying, Daddy. Others have said that it has a much deeper meaning. And the battle of scholars goes on. I'll let them deal with it. But I can tell you it must be a very important term because Jesus in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane used the same phrase in his prayer when he called upon his father. Now, if Jesus can do it and I'm allowed to do it, that's a pretty awesome phrase, right? And remember, the idea of adoption is always filled with love, grace, compassion, intimate relationship. It's followed by a legal and lawful declaration. And what could be more legal than an action of God? And that's us, if we believe. We're adopted into his family. We are his. This should bear out in our every word and deed. Look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Logos, the eternal God, creator of all things, became Sarx. What is that? Well, in the Greek, it's the substance of the body, whether of beast or of men, human nature with its frailties, emotions, 
and physical limitations. In other words, Jesus experienced all the things that we can experience. God walked on this planet. He lived as people lived. He got hungry. He shed tears. He got tired. He had joy. Just as all of of us have done or will do. And why? Because in spite of the flesh, he wanted us to see the glory of God. To know what really God was. He gave us grace. And we did not know such grace before. And sadly, a lot of us seem to have forgotten the kind of grace he gave us and the kind of grace we are supposed to have for other people. Because he taught us to give grace in every relationship we deal with of all kinds. With the rise of self, and the pastor mentioned that a little bit, um, we see an increase in strife in the world and in our institutions based on the idea that the individuals seem to have that they are the authority. Their hurts, their emotions have precedence over all of other things. And that's not true. It's that exploded view of self that people have. But it's our Lord and Savior who has the precedence over all things. Not us, not our thoughts. It's his. It's his word, his truth, found in the covers of our Bibles. And verse 16 then says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. So what does it mean, grace upon grace? Some say the notion is that there are two types of grace given by God. Common grace that everybody gets just because they have a life. Well, all right. I don't have much of a life these days, but a lot of people have lives, right? We have common grace. And then there's that special grace given to us for us who believe. For us who followed him. That unmerited favor for forgiveness of sins and for that personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. Others have said that the repetition of the two words here indicates there is such an abundant supply it will never be exhausted. Grace upon grace upon grace. And that the deeper meaning may be a subject of conversation. But all of us have grace and all of us need to give grace. All of us need to give grace. And verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Did God show grace in the Old Testament? Absolutely. 
but it, it, it wasn't as open and it wasn't so prevalent, I think. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. How many Old Testament laws are there? Anybody know? 613. 613 specific line items you had to follow. Wow. Now, can anybody name them? All right, we'll lessen the challenge down. Can anybody name the 16 subdivisions of those laws? Okay, probably not. How about, can anybody tell me which of those 613 laws required the death penalty for violation? Nope, okay. Why did we have the law? You know, most say that we have the law given to show it's impossible to follow those laws to attain the perfection required by God. And following the law didn't save anybody. The repentance of sin did. And that's when that grace was given. And grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace, that unmerited favor and truth on how we are to live under grace. Now that's a difficult concept. How are we to live under grace? Well, consider that verse 18 says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And the important thing about this Knowing God, uh, what did people learn new at the time of Christ? I had 613 laws to follow. What did we learn new? And if I were to venture an opinion, I would say how much love God has for all of us. How much love, how much he cares for us. And for all the people of the world, not just the Jews. For all the people of the world. And then that magnificent, wonderful grace from the creator of the universe. How much grace are we given each day? Jesus left us many commandments on how that love and grace were to be shared. And the Holy Spirit working through the New Testament writers left us with clear instruction on the particulars of how that grace is to be shared, that truth is to be shared. So how many here can tell me just 20 of the commandments that we find in the New Testament? (laughs) How about 10? Three? Most of us know three of them. Right? Mark 12, 29 says, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
There is no other commandment greater than these. What's it mean to love somebody? I love my wife. I love my sister. That's a little bit different. Um, I used to love my dog. But it's all a different kind of love, isn't it? The Bible uses this term agape love. It's the love we are supposed to have for each other on this earth. C.S. Lewis describes it as the highest level of love known to humanity, a selfless love that is passionately committed to the well-being of others. That's how we're supposed to love people. I need to be more concerned about your well-being than basically mine. If I'm really loving you, and if I'm doing that, and you're really loving me, then you're going to be concerned about me, right? All right, nobody said, yeah, so I guess I'm out of it, you know? (laughs) And many of us can add then the golden rule, Luke 6.31, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. But if that's all we needed, why the rest of the New Testament? What's the rest of that book for? If we followed those three things, wouldn't life be pretty great? Well... Jesus explained the Father made him known and the Spirit of God continued to work through those writers of the New Testament. And I believe that all that we in our human state can understand about God's love, grace, and truth is found in the Bible. It's all there. John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you unto all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are come. And I didn't write it down, but I forgot that scripture. Pastor, you can probably help me out. But all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And I think that's in Timothy. 316, thank you. It's tough getting old, folks. It's your excuse for everything. It is my excuse for everything. Otherwise, I'd be perfect. And so we have the New Testament to teach us because it contains an explanation of God's truth in love. What it is, how it should show up in the lives of those who believe. And it also points out some of those unloving things that should not be in the lives of those who believe. Now I want to pause here. Stop. I am not teaching this to anyone in particular today. Okay? 
I could get five people coming up after the service and say, were you talking about me? <laughs> no. No. I'm talking about the things that God put on my heart this past week and a half, putting this together. But how much detail do we really get out of the Bible? I mean, we know the big Ten Commandments in the New Testament goes deeper, but how much deeper does it go? First, second, I'm sorry, Second Peter 1, 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Everything we need to know about life and godliness is found in the Bible. Everything. All things. And that life here is that Zoe life, that life in God, that life in Christ that shines and gives off that reflection of his glory. So not only are we to consider this agape love for all others, consider we're to do it without partiality. Not just our church, not just our family. How about the homeless in Visalia? How about the folks who live in really rough conditions in the area? How about other Christian faiths? What was that you told me this week, Pastor, in, in, in the essentials unity and in the non-essentials liberty? But they're still Christians. Why do people put walls up around? Well, he's, he's a Baptist. I used to go to a church where the big thing was to say, well, I'm a Reformed Baptist. <laughs> and by Reformed, meaning I used to be a Baptist and now I've changed. Um, wow all people deserve that love all of our encounters should be based upon the love of God that agape love one of the toughest things that I see and I, I you know I talk with a group of guys not in this church, outside the church. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody here, but um, we're just old guys, previous pastors, deacons, and we just talk about stuff. And we seem to think that there is a growing attitude of non-forgiveness within the church, within Christians. We want to hold a hardness in our heart. All of us are not so quick to be forgiving, and yet that's part of that agape love. There's no special circumstances like, well, you only have to forgive if someone asks for forgiveness. No. For children of God, we're to forgive. 
Craig comes up and steps on my toe, I forgive you, Craig. No big deal. Takes a hammer to my head, I forgive you, man. I probably needed it. You see, for children of God, we're to forgive, period. Consider the prayer that we pray each week. Forgive us our debts. When do we do that? As we forgive our debtors. Think of that. And if you were to look at the verse that immediately follows the Lord's prayer, it's for if you give other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Now that's a powerful statement. It also seems to contradict maybe other parts of the Bible. MacArthur puts it this way, not the withholding of a permanent and complete acquittal from the guilt and ultimate penalty of sin, because that acquittal belongs to all who are in Christ. Rather the withholding of day-to-day cleansing that is necessary for intimacy with God and believers and in relationships with others. And please understand that our forgiving each other has two purposes. One is to free the person who sinned against us. And two, to free us from the things that unforgiveness does to us. Because those can be horrible. Why? Because the longer we harbor ill feelings against those who have stepped on our toes, the harder our hearts grow towards someone. The offense might have been minor. But if we don't forgive, (laughs) we think about it. Somebody has stepped on your toes by physically harming you or emotionally harming you, you think about it every day. And every day that hardness grows and every day it spreads a little deeper and a little wider within your being and it's like a root growing inside you and the more the root grows, the harder it is to get rid of. Just forgive. Psychologists agree with the Bible. You need to let those things go. And the longer that hardness is there, that root is there, the more it affects your thinking, your relationship with God, your attitudes, and clearly the relations you had with someone who happened to step on your toes. And by stepping on your toes, I don't know, uh, there's a song out that, uh, it's a popular Christian song about a lady who forgave the guy who killed her son. He was a drunk driver. Forgiveness by Matthew somebody. I'm old, I can't remember it. Right, Pastor? And after a while, it's affecting the relationships around you. This unforgiveness, this hardness. People around you, they begin to see that you're looking like some of those things mentioned in Romans one twenty nine. You know, uh, and that's a tough verse, you know. They're filled with unrighteousness, covetousness, malice, envy, they're gossips, they're slanderers, they're 
boastful, they're dissenters, so on and so forth. They're causing division. Thinking about my grandfather as I read through that, he would have said, sounds like they got something stuck in their craw. But the writer of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. Don't let that happen. You forgive people. You let it go. Believe me, it's not worth holding the grudge. Strive for peace with everyone. Reconcile with people. You know, and Jesus has even taught us how to reconcile with people. He said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens... You have gained your brother, but if he does not listen, take along one or two others with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Reconcile. Take care of the problem. Get it out of your system. If it wasn't for this passage, my smart aleck self would have been pushed away uh, so much by people. Me saying things I thought were a joke but were really offending another person. And in today's society, human beings have a greater difficulty in either giving forgiveness or confronting a toe-stepper to, to get to a point of reconciliation. That's not the life God wants for us. The life he wants for us is peace and love. And blessedly, I was fortunate enough to have people in my life willing to do the hard thing and, and kick me in the patootie uh, many times. I used to tell people I got so many scars on my hind end, it doesn't hurt anymore. But God using people to discipline me usually isn't fun, but it's worthwhile. And 52 times the Bible tells us that God disciplines those he loves. And he uses other people to do it. Think about that. Do you love your kids? Do you just let them run wild and crazy? No, you discipline them. We're children of God. He's going to discipline us. And that's okay. Going through a really rough time? You know, you got lots of people who should be surrounding you and helping you and loving on you and taking care of you. Because we just grow stronger from them. So we all live our lives as children of the Almighty God. 
We're adopted by him through grace and love. If we are living according to God's instructions, our life will reflect it. And if not, our life will reflect that as well. It doesn't mean we're going to have perfect lives. It doesn't mean we're not going to get sick. It doesn't mean we're not going to have bad things happen to us. But when something bad happens to someone, that's our opportunity to show them love. We are to live as God taught us in love, giving grace and mercy or forgiveness to all. That's how God taught us. That's what we're supposed to do. And in closing this morning, whether you're in a good place in your life and things are just rosy and happy, or you're having a really difficult time, I would like for you to consider these words of Paul, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And that Greek there doesn't mean you do something silly and something happens to you and God quickly tries to figure out a way to, to handle it. No, God's in control. He's with you in the past. He's with you now. He's going to be with you in the future. He exists without respect to time. He goes on in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And by those whom he predestinated, he also called And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. No matter what we're going through, God's in control. And it may be hard times. That hard time may be for my benefit, if I'm going through a hard one. That I need to learn something. Or it may be your benefit. So you learn to come alongside and show love and grace in the difficulties of life. And that's it for today, folks.